We're going to talk today about um, storms of life. When we're in a storm, the Pacenza family's in the eye of the storm right now. But it's bigger than that. We're all in the storm. And sometimes when the storms of life are so big, we, 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 we can spend some time not looking at God, not looking for God. How do we see him? The rhetorical title, can God be trusted? And there's a little outline in your worship folder if you're a note taker. Of course God can be trusted, but sometimes I get blocked. Sometimes I get so in the middle of it all. So, Father, as we study this word, would you take it away? Would you take, take it away for each of us and apply it to each of our lives? Each of our lives. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I do want to say for a moment, and some of you have been very gracious about the, uh, the service yesterday, and can I just say that I did not write that service. Lily wrote that service. As I sat in their house and heard Lily's little phrases, I realized this little girl, this three-year-old wrote the service, and it was, it was astounding to me. And her, her asking a man at three years old in Target, do you know Jesus? And her little phrase, God never sleeps, God never sleeps. God wasn't asleep last Saturday night. God never sleeps. There are things that are unexplainable. I just need to do my part. I'm called to do my little nothing part and watch God. I had an amazing experience last Sunday. I saw in in the church where I'm at, I saw a single mom um, that I know very well who's been been, uh, homeless because her apartment was flooded and she's been living in a motel in Fort Lauderdale with her little baby, her little four-year-old. And I said to her, are you doing okay? She said, I'm doing okay. I said, well, what does that mean? You know, your eyes tell me you're not doing okay. And she said, I'm doing okay. I cannot take any more money from you. I'm doing okay. Thank you very much. I'm doing okay. I turned around and a couple came up to me and said, we have $800. We want to give it to a single mom. I mean, this is 60 seconds. We want to give it to a single mom. Um, and, and we just don't know who to give it to. Would you give it to them? Don't, and don't tell them who it's from. And I said, you've got to stand there and watch this. This is unbelievable. And I went up to this mom and I said, not my money, obviously, in this envelope, but there's money in this envelope. Somebody just gave me to give to a single mom. And she said, how did you do that? And I said, oh, if I knew how to do that, I'd be getting that every day, every hour. I had no idea how. That, that was God to you. We want to we look at that today. And as we look at that, we're in John chapter, chapter 6. But we're going to look at the three passages in, in Matthew and Mark also that talk about this. Because the disciples are ecstatic. The disciples have come back. They were sent out in twos to cast out demons and do healings. They had to be terrified. Really, I don't want to go. In fact, if I go, I'll go with you. You cast out the demons, I'll pray. I'm your prayer support back here. And they go and they come back and it's amazing. And they're downloading with Jesus. And as they're downloading with Jesus, people from all over are coming around. And one guy comes up to Jesus because he's starting to teach the people. And as he's teaching the people, somebody has the audacity, one of the disciples, send the people to town. It's almost like you're talking too long. Send the people to town to get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. He says, it will take a small fortune. And he says, well, what do you have? And Andrew, being Andrew, says, well, we have this kid's lunch. And then he can't help himself. But I'm almost embarrassed. You know, a kid's lunch for this 5,000 plus. We have this child's lunch. But what good is that with this group? And then Jesus says, have him, have him sit down. And you almost think Andrew was going to want to say, you didn't hear me. Small lunch. Have him sit down. Because you don't have to do it. You just have to show up. 
So they sit down and Jesus multiplies the fishes and the loaves and they feed 5,000 plus people. And Jesus says, "Get, collect all the rest. We don't want any to waste, be wasted. And they collect it and there's 12 baskets left, one for each disciple. And if I'm one of those disciples, I'm going to say to Jesus, can I keep this magic basket? I mean, this is unbelievable how that just worked. And then he does this. And then right after all these amazing things, it says in Matthew 6, 16, that evening his disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. That evening after all those things, and I'm, I, I got to believe they're saying, this is unbelievable. We're healing, we're, cat, we're feeding, we're doing all these things. What an incredible experience. And it goes on to say, but as darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. They got into the boat and headed out across the lake to Capernaum. Now, we know a little more when we hook up Matthew. In Matthew 14, 22, right after feeding the 5,000, right after it says, immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into that boat. In Mark 6, 45, it says, immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and head across to Bethsaida. You, these are connected. He knows what's coming. You guys are, you know, I mean, feeding the 5,000, you're a little over the top. You're walking a little taller, maybe. So immediately, immediately, he sends them out, and they're out there, and a storm comes. So let's put this together. Jesus works a miracle right before their eyes. Jesus uses them to deliver the miracle. Jesus validates that he can do miraculously anything in our life. Jesus tells them to go across the Sea of Galilee, and they trust him to do this. And they're in the boats, and while they're in the boats, and can I say their boats, this is the first thing they've done that they know how to do. Healing, casting out demons, they don't know how to do that. Feeding the 5,000, they don't know how to do that. But this is, I know this, this is Sea of Galilee. You fish the Sea of Galilee at night, not during the day anyway. That's why we catch them washing their nets early mornings. So it's one of their boats where they spend their time. They know the Sea of Galilee. They know how to do it. They can do this religiously, and that's where we have to be careful. Activities done religiously or out of routine or habit are the times when you can easily miss the hand of God. That's when all of a sudden he jerks it a little bit. Yeah, meanwhile, the disciples, well, it says in John, in John 6, 18, soon a gale swept down upon them as they rode, and the sea grew rough. And you go to the passage in Matthew 14. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And Mark, it says, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing. I, I think the important thing is they can't see him. Lily said, God never sleeps. He never sleeps. He knows. I'll never forget that. With that, that three-year-old, I got a lot of texts and, and other pastors were here and they say, Do you, you realize you got schooled by a three-year-old? And I said, proud of it. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. Yeah, Jesus says in John chapter 14, 16, he will never leave us. He will never leave us. Deuteronomy 31, 6, he will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, 8, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I think sometimes when we fail to trust, when we fail to trust, Jesus seems really far away. It's a trust issue. Yeah, if you're an outline taker, number one on your outline, failure to trust God will make you feel far from God. It's a trust issue. I don't know what you're doing. I trust you. But honestly, Lord, I don't understand a lot. I don't know how this works. How does this find me? I don't have any wires. It's amazing. And I trust it. 
It's an issue of I trust you. I don't know what you're doing. I wish it wouldn't take so long sometimes. Bob, I'm working out your salvation. We're doing a little workout here, son. We're pulling it out of you. It's an exercise. Yeah, failure to trust God will make you feel far from God. Continuing in John six nineteen, they were three or four miles out when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat, and they were terrified. They weren't looking for Jesus in this. They were in the middle of the storm. They weren't looking for Jesus. Rather than one of them saying, look, Jesus sent us to do this. Our part's just to do our part and trust with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. And all our ways and all our rowing acknowledge him and he will direct our path. Matthew 14, 26, one of them screams, it's a ghost. They're not looking for Jesus at all. I mean, let's be honest. We know God does awesome things for other people. We love to hear those stories. But in our dark times of need, we're not sure he'll do it for us. All of a sudden, it's dark. The storm is really, really, really loud. And so we got to say, does God still do awesome things? Yeah, he does. So why would I think for me, well, I don't know. I, I, I think I know me. Why would he do it for me? I know me. I know what goes through my head. I love Matthew, I mean Mark 6, 47 and 48 on this. During the night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus saw Jesus, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble. He doesn't have to be visible for you to be visible to him. He knows. He knows your name. He's got the funniest verse. He, he's got the hairs numbered on your head, which are getting to be less and less a number for me. He's got the hairs numbered on your head. Now, that's an interesting statement. Rather than he's got your fingerprint, he's got your DNA, he's got your retinal scan. Because hairs change constantly to count. It's a picture of, oh, he so knows you. And he so loves you. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Number two on your outline. God knows your needs before you even ask him. It says that in Matthew. He knows your needs before you ask. Then can I ask, then why do we ask? Because I want an intimacy with you. I want an intimacy with you, Bob. Bob, if the only time you study this is when somebody in church feeds you on Sunday, Bob, get, you got to get out of the high chair and start feeding yourself. He wants an intimacy with you. He wants to know you. He wants, he wants you to ask so that you can go, Oh, look what my father did. Oh. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Verse 48 says in Mark 6, Rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the water. He started to go past them. He would have never gone past them. But it's almost like he's going right alongside going, Hello. You guys are focused so fixated on the problem. Focus your faith. You've got to pull your faith. It's that father in Mark chapter 6. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, help me not to doubt. And there are seasons in a church community and seasons in a, in a family where, where were you? Even seasons of anger. When I was a little boy, my mom died of cancer. And I, I, I really spent a long time with what we'll call in my field an attachment disorder. 
I, I was afraid to really be all in. I was very close to my mom. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not going to be all in. And I meet this beautiful woman named Rosemary, and, and finally she agrees to marry me, and we get married. But I'm, I'm a workaholic, and I'm, I didn't realize I wasn't really a workaholic. I, was, I, I, I don't want to risk really, really, really loving her. And when, when uh, Rosemary is pregnant with our first child, seven months pregnant, she goes into a seizure. And we rush her to the hospital, and the doctor comes and tells me she's not going to make it. I'm going to try to rescue the baby and her, but she's not going to make it. He sits me down in a room. He says, I understand from the staff here you're a religious man. You pray. And three other pastors show up. And when they show up, I wasn't in a good place. I was screaming at God. I knew it. I knew you couldn't be trusted. I knew it. And in the graciousness of God, the doctor comes in and said, we've been able to save them both. Now, I don't know how God decides. I know he's got him. He knows. I know Lily's not having seizures anymore. I know she's hopping and skipping and laughing. I know. I know I hold too tightly to this here, this life. I'm convinced when we get to heaven, what was I waiting for? This is amazing. He saw that they were in serious trouble and he started to go past them. You guys need to be looking over here. But sometimes when we panic or sometimes when a relationship crashes or sometimes incredible loss or, or finance, whatever it is in your world right now, fear, fear. Why do we panic? Number three on your outline, Christian panic. Christians tend to panic. Why? Letter A, they have forgotten who God is. They've forgotten who God is. I just, I mean, I, I, I knew when I first accepted Jesus, and I was like, but I've kind of gotten into my routine. They've forgotten. I mean, feed 5,000? Of course he, and can I say, disciples, this is the second storm you guys were in. Oh, he was in the boat with you last time. Oh, I get it. Letter B. They never learned who God is. They never learned who God is. They never learned. I think for some Christians in letter C, they don't feel worthy of God's intervention. And can I say, you're not. You're not. What do I deserve? I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. I'm not worthy. So get past that one. I love what he says in verse 20. But he called out to them, I am here. Don't be afraid. I wonder if they go back to that years later. Remember when he said, I am here? God, the name for God, is here. I am here. Don't be afraid. Then they were eager to let him in. I'm sure they were. And immediately, this is amazing, the boat arrived at their destination. He's in. There they are. This is the same Jesus that loves you. The same amount. Why does God do miracles? Number four, letter A, to show that he's God. Not to show off, to show that he's God. I want you to know I'm God. I got you. I love you. I've got you. I've got you. I do know the plans I have for you. And Bob, you cling too tightly to planet Earth. Can I say that? What I have for you here? Oh, letter B, to show that he loves us. To show that he loves us. He loves us. But letter C, to further his kingdom plan. You're rescued to rescue. Lily saying to the guy at Target, do you know Jesus? A three-year-old. Do you know Jesus? You're rescued to rescue. Yeah, letter D, to further our faith in him. Wow, Lord. Wow. So number five, 
God does miracles in our midst, midst, so that we will know who he is and risk great steps of faith. If I'm just living within my own abilities and not risking talking to people, not risking sharing, I'm personally very grateful to this church. I was a member when it was on commercial, and uh, Dr. Kennedy taught me EE, and I was always terrified to use it, and, and I'm, I'm just grateful for that. And recently I was in a situation where I had a couple in my office from another country, and he's a Christian and she's not. And I, I was, and her parents had gotten a hold of me uh, from another country through a mutual friend, would you stop this wedding, which I didn't want to do. But I knew I had to do. And so I'm in the midst of it. I'm sharing with him about his faith a little bit. And I start to talk to her. And I'm talking to her for about five minutes about Christ. And she's crying. And I mean, I haven't even really gotten to the third point in the EE plan of salvation. I'm just, and I look at her and I say, do you, do you want to accept Christ right now? And she's, she's weeping. And she goes, yes, yes. And I'm thinking, I wouldn't even get the gospel from what I said. And so I back up a little bit, and I'm talking a little more. And I said, so are you ready to pray? And she says, yes, yes. She prays to receive Christ. They're crying. And it was a horrible gospel presentation. So I'm a few days later on an airplane, and there's uh, flying to Asheville, and there's this 30-something this sitting next to me. And she asks a question, and I love when they ask it. I, I've got two options. Uh, what do you do? Well, uh, my training is I'm a therapist, uh, but I'm also a pastor. And honestly, if I'm just too tired, I'm a therapist. Uh, if I'm not too tired, I'm a pastor. Most of them turn away from me and don't want to talk to me after that anyway. But she asks a question, and I start sharing, and it was amazing. I mean, I had all the points. I got to the diagnostic question. Does this make sense to you? And she said, absolutely not. I'm talking a little more, and she doesn't want to talk to me anymore, and she, gets, she couldn't get off of that plane fast enough. And I'm walking off the plane talking to God. What was that all about? Well, Bob, you were a little full of yourself after the first one. We needed to bring it back for you to see. You don't do anything. I got it. Yeah, God does miracles in our midst so that we will know who he is and risk great steps of faith. But he calls out to them, I am here, don't wait.